welcome to Hanchuk Targets History. I'm your host, Tim Hanchuk. Thanks for joining me this episode. You know, I've been teaching high school history for way too many years, and I love talking about this stuff. So let me share with you some interesting, unique, and little-known historical events. I know you'll be entertained, and if you're not careful, you just might learn something too. So, let's lock and load and take a shot at that target of history and see what we can hit. Let's take a walk down range and see what the target shows us. Well, looks like we hit in the American Civil War. Specifically, we'll be looking at the Western Theater of the War in 1862 and the famous Andrews Raid, which is also known as the Great Locomotive Chase. So here's the situation. In February of 1862, Union forces were into Tennessee and finding success. Confederate General Albert Johnson pulled his troops out of the central part of the state in an effort to regroup. In doing so, he abandoned Nashville, which was then occupied on February 23rd by Union forces under the command of Brigadier General Don Carlos Buell and his Army of the Ohio. Nashville was actually the first Confederate state capital to fall to Union forces. But after occupying the city, Buell really didn't plan any further offensive operations for the foreseeable future. On March 11, 1862, Buell's troops were merged with those of General Henry Halleck. In late March, Halleck ordered Buell to march southwest to reinforce General Grant near Pittsburgh Landing. Buell left Nashville, leaving behind about a 7,000-man garrison. Also still in Nashville was Major General Ormsby Mitchell's 3rd Division of about 10,000 men. But with very little Confederate activity in the area, Mitchell moved his troops to Mufreesboro on March 20th. That brings us to James J. Andrews, a civilian who was serving Buell as a secret agent and scout at this time. Andrews was a native of Kentucky who claimed loyalty to the North. He was described as highly intelligent and charismatic, but we don't know much more about him. Other than that, before the war, he worked a variety of jobs, including being a music teacher, house painter, and sort of a jack-of-all-trades handyman. So at some time before Buell left to support Grant, Andrews got his okay for an espionage mission. The plan was fairly simple, yet at the same time quite audacious. Andrews would lead a group of men deep into Georgia to steal a Confederate train, drive it north, and while doing so, cause as much destruction as possible by tearing up track and burning bridges. The idea for this raid came from some intelligence Andrews got, saying there was an engineer in Atlanta who was willing to defect to the Union with his train, but needed a small crew to help him run it. Andrews got eight volunteers from Mitchell's division. The men set out on foot from Euphreesboro and worked their way south for about 40 miles until they hit Tillahoma which was a Confederate railhead. There they hopped a train south to Marietta, Georgia. Upon their arrival there, Andrews discovered to his surprise that the engineer's services had been needed elsewhere, so he'd been transferred. Andrews asked his men if any of them knew how to drive a train. Of course, none of them did, because, well, that's not a very common skill to know. At that point, Andrews was like, all right, I guess it's time to go home, and called off the raid. The group was able to cut some telegraph lines, so that's at least something. Actually, 
Two of the men were confronted by Confederate soldiers while doing this, but some quick acting on their part fooled the soldiers into thinking that they were two overworked wiremen who were having a bad day. All eight men returned safely to Union lines a week later. Andrews himself stuck around a few more days to do some more recon on the railroad before he too returned to friendly lines. So that raid didn't work, but you have to admit, it was a good idea. Meanwhile, Union General Mitchell was making a move in the central part of Tennessee to try to cut off the Western Confederacy's contact with the Ohio and Mississippi River Valleys. To do this, he would first seize and sever the Memphis and Charleston Railroad line at a place between Memphis and Chattanooga. At this time, it was the Confederates' only railway connection between the Mississippi River and the East. After that, he'd capture the city of Chattanooga, thereby severing the waterway junction as well. But capturing Chattanooga would prove to be challenging. Mitchell had a limited amount of men, and that, combined with the local geography, made encirclement impossible. Mitchell could lay siege to the city, but the Confederate rear would remain open and allow reinforcements to be brought in by rail from Atlanta. This even presented the possibility of an overwhelming Confederate counterattack when they had built up a sufficient amount of troops. So maybe it's time for Andrews to try again. This time, he would recruit 22 volunteers from Ohio regiments and take along a civilian as well. These men would later be known as Andrews Raiders, and most of the men had some experience working trains. Once again, they'd infiltrate south into Georgia and steal a Confederate train. They'd drive it north toward Chattanooga, destroying track, bridges, and anything else they could along the way. This would cut off Chattanooga from getting reinforcements, and at the same time, Mitchell could launch his attack on the city. Now, actually sneaking into Georgia proved to be quite difficult. The raiders disguised themselves by wearing civilian clothes. By the way, doing this meant that if they were captured, they'd be treated as spies and not prisoners of war. And what happens to spies in wartime? Yeah, they're usually executed. The 24 raiders traveled in small groups so as not to arouse attention. Their cover story was that they were loyal Confederates from Kentucky traveling to Atlanta to join the cause. As cover stories go, it was pathetic. There were plenty of places to enlist without having to travel all the way to Atlanta. Fortunately, 22 of the 24 men made it to Marietta, Georgia without having to use the ridiculous story. Two unlucky men were challenged by Confederate soldiers in Tennessee. And when they gave their cover story, the Confederates said, hey, you can join up right here. The pair were immediately taken into service and were, ironically, sent to help defend Chattanooga. The Raiders arrived in Marriott on April 11th and took hotel rooms for the night. The plan was to board the northbound Western and Atlantic Express train the following morning and ride it to Big Shanty, which is now known as Kennesaw, where the train was due to make a stop. It was here they planned to take the train. Now understand, at this time, railway dining cars were not in common use, so most railroad timetables included rest stops where the train could refuel and the passengers could disembark to eat. Big Shanty was the scheduled breakfast stop, 
and was an ideal place to steal the train because it did not have a telegraph office. So on the morning of April 12th, 20 of the 22 Raiders boarded the train at Marietta. Two guys accidentally overslept at the hotel and missed it. Oops. The train was pulled by a Type 440 locomotive known as the General. The 440 configuration for the locomotive meant there were four leading wheels on two axles, four powered and coupled driving wheels on two axles, and zero trailing wheels. Along with its tender, it pulled three empty boxcars, followed by two passenger cars. As the Raiders boarded the train, the conductor, William Fuller, was a bit suspicious. Twenty guys in civilian clothes traveling together, he suspected that maybe they were deserters. But Andrews confided with him that they were Confederate spies on a special mission for General Beauregard. This story, along with the fact that they were traveling toward the front lines and not away from them, eased Fuller's mind, and he allowed them to board with no trouble. They rode the train to Big Shanty, where it made its scheduled breakfast stop. The passengers went next door to the Lacey Hotel to eat. Once they and the train's crew were gone, the raiders quickly uncoupled the passenger cars, hopped into the empty boxcars. Andrews and three other men jumped into the general, and away they went. The conductor, Fuller, who was enjoying his breakfast, looked up in surprise to see the general slowly pulling away from the station. He immediately dashed out of the hotel and began to chase the train on foot. He was followed by the engineer, Jeff Kane, and the Western and Atlantic locomotive superintendent, Anthony Murphy. As the general picked up speed, these men realized they weren't going to catch it on foot. So they jumped on a nearby handcar and used it to continue their chase. Now here's the next thing you need to realize. During this time, trains only averaged about 15 to 20 miles an hour on this line. The terrain north of Atlanta is rugged and hilly, and the track grades are steep. Given this, and coupled with the fact that Andrews wanted to stop to perform acts of sabotage, meant that a determined pursuit did have a real chance of catching the train before it could make it to Chattanooga. A short ways up the line, Andrews made a quick stop in Alatoona to cut telegraph lines and rip up a small length of track. A little further on at Etowa sat the locomotive Yona on a siding. There was also a bridge nearby. But Andrews realized he had neither the time nor the manpower to destroy either of these quickly, and he had to keep to his timetable. Timetable? What do you mean? At the time of the Civil War, the railway industry was still considered to be in its infancy. But even by this time, trains had strict timetables they had to follow to prevent collisions. Andrews had gotten a timetable for the Western and Atlantic Line, so he knew when to expect an oncoming train. But that still meant the General had to pull off onto sidings to let southbound trains pass. At the junction town of Kingston, they ran into an unexpectedly long delay. They pulled off onto a siding at the W&A rail yard. Here they met a southbound train that knew the general. They called to Andrews asking where the conductor Fuller was and what happened to their passenger cars. Well, Andrews thought up a lie and he thought it up quick. The train, he said, had been given a special mission to rush ammunition to General Beauregard for the defense of Chattanooga. The other train bought this story, 
as did the station master. Remember, Andrews had cut the telegraph wires from the south, so there was no news at all about what the general was supposed to be doing, or that it had been stolen. So that worked out okay, but Andrews and the general were about to face another problem while they were in Kingston. Remember, Union forces were moving on Chattanooga. In charge of defending the city was Confederate General Beauregard. He had made the quick decision to evacuate as much equipment and supplies as possible so it wouldn't fall into Union hands should the city fall. Because of this, orders had come down the line from the north that all southbound trains were to be given priority. Hence, Andrews and his men had to wait as several more southbound trains passed before being able to set off again. This delay of over an hour almost undid them. Now, while Andrews was being held up in Kingston, Fuller and the others continued their pursuit. At Etowah, Fuller commandeered the Yona and was running it at full steam up the line. The Yona arrived in Kingston just minutes after the general had finally been able to steam away. Unfortunately for them, the Kingston yard was so full of traffic that the Yona couldn't get through unless they wanted to wait a really long time. Fuller and his crew abandoned the Yona and switched to the locomotive William R. Smith, which was the next northbound train to leave the yard. The pursuit continued on the William R. Smith until they were a few miles south of Adairsville. There they were stopped by a segment of broken track that Andrews had hastily destroyed as they passed. Fuller and his crew were forced to pursue on foot again, at least until they got past the broken track. Fortunately for Fuller, he quickly ran into the southbound locomotive Texas, whose engineer, Peter Bracken, quickly allowed the men to commandeer. The Texas was a powerful locomotive and certainly had the speed to overtake the general, but was facing south instead of north. With time being of the essence, and with no turntable available anyway, Fuller and his crew ran the train at full steam in reverse. As Andrews and his raiders passed through the next town, Calhoun, they could hear the whistle of the pursuing Texas in the distance and knew their time was short. With such hot pursuit, there wasn't much they could do in terms of destroying things. They didn't have enough men, time, or tools to properly tear up large sections of track, and the day's rain made it impossible to get fires lit to burn bridges. They did cut telegraph wires, though, but missed the one north of Dalton. This allowed Fuller to have a message sent to Chattanooga telling them of the situation. A Confederate garrison was sent out of Chattanooga moving south to intercept the raiders. A little later in the pursuit, Andrews could see the Texas in the distance, so the last two boxcars were uncoupled in hopes that this would slow down the pursuit. It didn't. Remember, the Texas was being run in reverse. It simply slowed down, linked up with the boxcars, and continued going on the chase. With forces now approaching from both north and south, and with their fuel running low, Andrews and his raiders were desperate. They uncoupled their last boxcar and tried to light it on fire to burn the bridge at Chickamauga, but it didn't catch. A short while later, just 18 miles south of Chattanooga, the general ran out of fuel and water and came to a halt. The entire chase had lasted seven hours and covered 87 miles. 
Andrews and his raiders took off on foot through the Georgia countryside. So, the raid ultimately failed, and within two weeks, Andrews and all his men were captured, even the two who had overslept and missed the train. All the men were court-martialed. Andrews and seven others were found guilty of spying and sentenced to death. Andrews was hanged on June 7, 1862, in Atlanta, and the other seven on June 18th. The rest of the captured men were imprisoned in Atlanta. Ten of them made a prison break in October of 1862. Two were quickly recaptured, but the other eight would make it back to friendly forces. Six of them traveled north on foot, and with the help of slaves and Union sympathizers, reached Union lines. The other two paddled down the Chattahoochee River and into the Gulf of Mexico, where they were quickly picked up off the coast of Florida by the Union blockade ship USS Somerset. The remaining prisoners in Atlanta were eventually exchanged for Confederate prisoners in March of 1863. As a result of this daring mission, all but three of the soldiers were awarded the newly approved Medal of Honor, some obviously posthumously, with the very first one going to Private Jacob Parrott of Fairfield County, Ohio. Andrews himself and the other civilian on the raid, William Campbell, were not eligible for the award since it's only given to those in the armed forces. What about the three men who didn't get the medal? Well, supposedly that was an oversight. To correct this, in January of 2008, U.S. President George W. Bush signed a bill authorizing the awarding of the Medal of Honor to two of them. Private Philip G. Shadrach, sometimes known as Charles P. Shadrach, and Private George D. Wilson. Unfortunately, even to this day, nothing has been done, and these two men still remain unrecognized as Medal of Honor winners. By the way, whatever happened to General Mitchell's attack on Chattanooga? Eh, it ultimately failed. But talking about that, well, that would be another story. And there you have it, kind listeners. Thank you for tuning in. You know, if you like this episode, please tell your friends about it, and check out some of the other ones. You may find them interesting, too. I look forward to talking with you again next week.